The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the labors of the apostles. In our text, Paul and Barnabas, in laboring, giving their lives to bringing the gospel to the nations and through the centuries to us. And thank you for your word, which is ours to to strengthen us and fortify us in faith in the gospel. And so I, I pray that you would do that this morning. Remind us, anchor us in the gospel and fortify our faith, I pray. From this text, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our text in chapter 14 records the latter part, the latter half of Paul's first missionary journey, or actually the the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, after having been sent out from Antioch in Syria, in chapter 13, they went west to the island of Cyprus, and then they went north to southern Turkey, and there they, they conducted the rest of their, their journey, uh, first going east and then cutting back through the same towns back west, and then, then they swung around to head back to Antioch, their home church. So... There's, there's a lot here, and, and I really feel like the Lord zoomed me in on uh, a particular aspect of it, so, so come along with me. Uh, of, of course, this text is one of the classic texts that has historically encouraged the work of missions and church planting through the centuries. And so you might be thinking, well, look, we're a 150-year-old church. Uh, what is a, a text on church planting and missions have to do with us, Bethlehem Baptist, downtown campus in 2021. Now, on the one hand, as a sending church, it has a lot to say to us in how we do missions and church planting. And yet, on the other hand, I I really want you to climb into this with me for our church, for our mature church church. You know, as I've learned about church dynamics and as I've observed churches, churches go through life cycles. They go through life cycles of, of uh, fruitful and engaged ministry and then pauses and churches that, that, um, that continue through the decades then go through another cycle of, of uh, reestablishing their core commitments in the gospel and coming together, and then another fruitful cycle begins. And, and that is just normal church, and I think, um, I mean, I know that it's, it's a normal and a good and a healthy thing for existing churches to go through that process of reestablishing the core, I'd say every five, every six to ten years. And we've done it here at Bethlehem through the decades. 
Uh, under Pastor John, we've done it several times. Pastor John Piper. And after past, yeah, under Pastor Jason, we did it again. Establishing the core. And what are we all about? And uh, it seems to me that uh, we're, we're at the threshold of doing this again. And what I see in this text is, is the very beginnings of the threshold. I'm not trying to begin a, a new effort of rethinking everything in this message, but I really do want to think about the core of the core. About the core of the core of the core of the core of the core that holds us together as a church, that creates us as a church and sustains us as a church. You might think, well, why would you have to go back and do that revitalizing, replanting kind of work for an existing church? Well, it's because by the grace of God, God calls us together in the gospel as a people, a diverse people from every tribe and tongue and every, every socioeconomic grouping, every age of edu- range of educational level and, and from all different places and birthplaces and vocations. And, and we enjoy coming together in the gospel. And then over time, what inevitably happens, and, and we know that there's indwelling sin with us, so sometimes it's because of sin and relational conflict. Sometimes it's because of differing values. Sometimes it's because of differing strategies and goals. Sometimes it's differing preferences. Sometimes it's differing personalities. Sometimes it's even different doctrinal convictions. Sometimes it's all of the above. But over time, churches find themselves going in in different ways. And for the sake of the preservation of the church, for the next cycle or for the next 150 years, this labor... This is just such good work. This, this labor to recenter us on the center, on the gospel, is worth it and shapes everything that we do. So that's a hint as to what I see here. And uh, so my aim, drawn really from verse 22. We have all these verses to talk about. This great narrative. I'm going to key in on verse 22 and, uh, and tell you that my aim from this text is to fortify our faith in the gospel of Christ by reminding us of the ongoing centrality of the gospel in our lives and urging us to be strong and unwavering in our faith, even in difficult times, or I would say, especially in difficult times. So, my outline is super simple. Uh, (laughs) You'll you'll be relieved to know, I pared this down from 59 pages down to nine. So, (laughs) uh, so two points. (laughs) Sorry, I, I think I had more fun with that than you might have. Uh, but uh, 
two, two points. Two key aspects of Paul's ministry. Just basic, basic, basic church planning strategy. There's more to talk about, about his strategy, but two basic aspects of his strategy. Number one, gospeling unbelievers. Number two, strengthening believers. Those are my two points. Number one, gospeling unbelievers. Basic to Paul's strategy for disciple-making is proclaiming the gospel to unbelievers. And typically, his practice was to start in the synagogue. And when the Jewish people in the synagogue rejected him, he turned to the Gentiles, to the nations, over and over again. Um, Just for a survey, chapter 14, verse 1. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Paul and Barnabas, gospeling unbelievers in verse 1. Uh, verse 6, they learned of persecution and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. There again, they're gospeling unbelievers in in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel, that's where I get the the verb gospeling, when they had gospeled, and when they were about gospeling that city, Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So the gospel. Basic, basic, basic to Paul's disciple-making, missionary, church-planting strategy is gospeling, gospeling unbelievers. Everywhere he goes, he's like a gospel machine. And, and remember, the gospel is news. The gospel is not what we do in response to the gospel. The gospel is news about what God has done. This is very important to hang on to. The gospel is not a message that says, here's what you need to do to clean up your act to be received by God or to, to be acceptable to Jesus. It's not even, here's what you need to do to, to follow after Jesus, except the one thing that is needful, the one thing to do what God requires of you, believe. That's what the news uh, demands. The, the news demands receiving it in faith, not get to work to get right with God. Super important that we hang on to that. And, and uh, so the first strategy we see is Paul and Barnabas go about gospeling the cities everywhere they went. And, and uh, know that I'm not denying that there are implications of the gospel on our lives and the obedience of faith to to follow after everything that Jesus commands us by faith. But if you don't have faith in Jesus through the gospel, you can't obey him. Because everything apart from faith is sin. So it it all starts with faith in who God promises to be for us in Christ through the gospel. It's a starting point. It's where churches start. It's where our church started. It's where the Christian life begins. And it is the basis of, of all our outreach and missions work and planting and mercy ministries. The gospel. So, I could say it this way. So, what is it that holds a group of believers together? 
We come from everywhere. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God so loved us, he's in his son to die for us. And he rose from the dead to bring us to God himself. And have been brought to God, we've been brought together. It's the core of the core of this church, of New Testament Christianity. It's the core of the core of the core. But that's not all to Paul's basic, basic, basic strategy. The second thing Paul does is fortify the believers. I'm calling it fortifying the believers is what he's about. So after the initial proclamation of the gospel, Paul sees this as priority work, this work of fortifying the church in order that the believers would be strong and steady and persevering in their faith. And it was so important to he and Barnabas that they they went back through the cities that they had been thrown out of. I mean, they'd been chased out, threats of their life. Uh, in the passage we read, Paul was beaten to the point where they thought he was dead and he was dragged out of town. So why did they go back into that town later? Because fortifying the believers in their faith in the gospel of Jesus was that important. He came up with the word fortified. Because I, I, <laughs> I tried to hang these three concepts underneath it. Here, here, it's, this is verse 21. You know, it says that Paul and Barnabas are strengthening the souls of the disciples. They're strengthening the soul. They're, they're making the, their aim is to make the disciples strong and make them durable and established and firm in the faith. And then they're encouraging them to continue in the faith. They're urging them to stay with the faith, to persevere, don't waver or wander away. And then, seeing that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This always struck me as as a very interesting Christianity 101 summary to bring to the new churches. Strengthening in the faith, encouraging in the faith. And remember, by the way, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I'm lumping all that into fortifying. Paul and Barnabas go back to fortify the church in these three ways. So as I thought about that, I thought, you know, underneath that, Burden are three biblical assumptions. See if you can own these with me. And they're true for every one of us. No matter if we've been a Christian for a, a day or for decades. If you're not strengthened in the gospel... I could say it better. If you are not being strengthened in the gospel, 
you will become weak in faith. If you are not being encouraged to continue in the gospel of Christ, you will wander from your faith. And third, if you're not being reminded that God brings us through tribulations by his promises of the gospel, you may falter in your faith when trouble comes. Why? Why why is that true? Because even as Christians, redeemed saints, there is indwelling sin and unbelief in us, and our lives as Christians are characterized as a fight of faith to believe all that God promises to be for us in Jesus. That's our life, the fight of faith. So, we must be fortified by the gospel in an ongoing way to preserve our faith in Christ in accord with God's promises. We're a 150-year-old church. And, you know, the way to get into membership, we're a Baptist church, the way to get into membership is upon the profession of your faith and baptism. You know, every one of you who's a member have sat before the elders and have said, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe the gospel. And uh, that's, that's good and wonderful, and I'm glad we do it that way. And yet, what I don't want you to come away with this morning is, look, I'm good with God. I believed in Jesus when I was seven. Uh, so uh, let's get on with the real work of, of ministry and church in the Christian life. Eh, wrong answer. We must be being fortified in the gospel in order to persevere in faith as God promises that we will. So, I, I got to tell you, um, well, I, I quote this, there's a few verses I quote a lot, and this is one that, that I'm going to quote. You're going to get tired? No, I hope you don't get tired of this. Quickest place for me to show you this dynamic that I'm talking about is Galatians 2.20, where the apostle Paul says, the life, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not yesterday's gospel, not the gospel I believed when I was 15, but the gospel that I believed when I was 15 and it has been a fight of faith to believe every single day since then. Today and always. I teach a seminary class. Every time I say I teach a seminary class, I say I love teaching that class, but I do love teaching that class. Um, Called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. And in this class... I expose the students to a, a clip from Pastor John Piper's sermon that he preached in 2006. And uh, I love this clip. I'm going to read it. And, uh, and John is right over there, and I'm going to tell him something. Um, 
Here's the, here's the quote from the manuscript, and then I'll modify it from the video. John said, you never, never, never outgrow your need for this gospel. You don't begin the Christian life with this and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. God strengthens us with the gospel to the day we die. <laughs> I just have to laugh and say, John, that's not what you said. You know what you said? I'm going to have to use my fingers to get it right. John, what you said was you never, 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 never outgrow your need for the gospel. That's what you said. <laughs> the manuscript needs to be corrected 12 times, at least as I counted it. May God grant that we live by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ our entire lives. And may God keep us thereby from becoming weak, from wandering, or faltering in our faith when trouble comes. So, Bethlehem, we all share our faith in Christ and our reliance on the promises of the gospel. The gospel started this church and the gospel will continue it. And, and my main burden here, as I've said, is that we would be being fortified in the gospel day in and day out. And my hope in this moment, this sermon, this, this season that we're in as a church would be that, that we would find a profound unity in our shared faith in the gospel, in the center. That it's there that Everything we do would be fleshed out from, from worship to teaching to ministry to small groups to relationships to conflicts to counseling to marriages to missions and to communications and more. Everything would be shaped by being strong in the gospel and the, the center would hold again for another cycle of joyous and fruitful life and ministry together. So that's my hope. So my hope is that when we gather for worship or small groups or counseling or conversation, we would expect this from each other. We would expect to be strengthened and encouraged in the gospel. Regarding worship services, uh, one church planter was asked the question, so in our worship services, this is a church planter just getting started. The question is, in our worship services, do we, uh, do we aim at believers or unbelievers? Here's what he replies, and we would reply the same way. He says, both. 
Both groups are in constant need of God's grace. The grace of rescue. The grace of revival. The grace of reconciliation and the grace of restoration. Because God is in personal pursuit of rebels on the run, the gospel applies to both believers and unbelievers alike. Because we are all still sinners in need of a Savior. No one ever outgrows their need of the gospel. And may it be that every aspect of our lives are shaped and impacted by the implications and applications of the gospel. The gospel is news to be believed and received, but once we believe and receive, boom, the impact on our lives is many, and the call to the obedience of faith is, is profound. Jonathan Dotson, he, he was uh, a TBI student here several years ago. He's a pastor now in, in Texas. He just writes of living by faith in the Son of God who loved him and then its effects on life. Here's what he says. We know the gospel's good because we experience its grace-saturated goodness in our everyday lives. We know the gospel is good, not just in theory, but in the experience of suffering, parenting, dating, working, and so on. We know that the gospel is good because it frees us from being a slave to others' opinions. When through faith in Christ, we've obtained the opinion that matters most. God the Father, saying, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. This deep, undying love and approval of God the Father frees us from people-pleasing, from overworking, from spouse-impressing, from self-adoring living. The gospel sets us free. The trouble is, of course, that there are so many people who don't know the power of the gospel in this way. They don't know how the gospel is good news for them as it fleshes out into into our lives. And may it be that as a people, when the inevitable troubles come, that we respond, yes, with sorrow and grief, but also in hope. We're not surprised or numb to suffering. I mean, isn't it interesting? Through many tribulations, we're not surprised or numb to it, and and we suffer and lament with those who are suffering and grieve, but we grieve in hope. We don't grieve like unbelievers. We don't go through suffering like unbelievers. We go through suffering by faith in the Son of God who loved us. That's why we go through it into glory. I'm going to close with an illustration. And 
The danger of this illustration is that it's so extreme that you might think it doesn't apply to your fight of faith. But, but I want to say exactly the opposite. Um, because it's extreme, you can see it. And yet, it is a parable of the fight of faith even in your little troubles and trials. You are tempted to waver, to unbelief. In May of 2001, Marcia and Gracia Burnham were among 20 people taken hostage by Islamic jihadists of the Islamic State in East Asia, in the Philippines. At that time, there were new tribes missionaries uh, serving in aviation, and they were going to take a break at a resort uh, in uh, a remote island for their 18th wedding anniversary. So it was like a little vacation for them. And, and they were taken hostage, and their year-long ordeal was marked by the beheading of captives, uh, ongoing hunger, ongoing abuse, and just psychological torture of, you'll be released on Friday. And it culminated with a gun battle, rescue mission by the Philippine army that killed Martin Burnham. So in recounting their story, Marsha Burnham, on a podcast called Compelled, subtitle, Forgiving My Kidnappers. In recounting their story, Gracia tells of a time in July of 2001. After hopes of their release, release were dashed over and over again, her husband, Martin, observed that her faith was faltering. Now here's the quote from the podcast. Week 10 came and went and no rescue. No negotiation was working and I started thinking, you know what? God doesn't love me. And questioning God's love and God's word threw me into this pit of depression and anxiety and questioning. And it really got bad. And one day I went to the river just to sulk. And Martin came and sat by me and said, Gracia, I'm so sorry to see you giving up on your faith like this. And I said, oh, I'm not giving up my faith. I still believe God made us. I still believe he's almighty. I believe he purchased salvation for us. I just think God doesn't love me. Because if he did, I wouldn't be in this mess. And Martin said, oh, Gracia, I think either you believe it all or you don't believe it at all. So when you're there, what do you do? Where do you go? She continues, and this is now from her book. 
No, excuse me. This is still from the podcast. So she says, so, so we started going over all the verses about love because that is what I was dealing with. Quote, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Gospel promise, Old Testament. With loving kindness, I've drawn you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And now I jump to her book. Her book is called In the Presence of My Enemies. She writes, this was a turning point for me. It was as if God and Christ were saying to me, if you're going to believe that I died for you, why not believe that I love you? Why don't you let me put my arms around you and love you? And she says, and I did. I simply gave in and handed all my pain and anger over to the Lord right then and there. I didn't have a Bible or anyone but Martin encouraging me. But from that day on, the Lord somehow let me know in my spirit that he was still faithful. What was it that steadied and made firm, anchored, gracious faith? What kept her from wandering away? What was it that in the troubles and tribulations preserved her? It was the gospel. It was the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, that is where we live. That is where we live. In the troubles and trials of life and in the fight of faith to believe all your promises to us in the gospel of Christ and all that you promised to be for us. So meet us now as we go to the Lord's table. Meet us. Actually, it's not a hunch. I, I know that we here, in varying degrees, need to, need to be reminded, need to be refreshed, need to be fortified in our faith that you have loved us with an everlasting love in Christ Jesus. He has died for us to bring us to you now and forever. So I pray as we go to the table that you would wrap your arms around each one who believes. And I pray that any here who do not yet believe, you'd call them and enfold them into your loving arms. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.